It's time for a moment of clarity with your hosts, Galen Dietering, Phil Stargell, and Ed Bondarenka. Faith, faith, faith politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your hosts, Galen, Phil, and Ed. Good afternoon, everybody. How are you today? I hope that you are enjoying this beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, I know that I got out this morning first thing and I cut my grass and it was just a delight. So uh, today we have with us Ed and Phil and a special guest, William Wagner from the Great Lakes Justice Center. And if you've been listening, he was just on Janice Daniels' show. But we're going to talk about a slightly different topic with him today. Um, and what I'd really like to do is talk about the the infringement on our practice of faith and on our gathering together. So um, just really briefly, uh, I do want to bring up the fact that, Professor Wagner, you mentioned in the last hour that we're in a constitutional crisis in, in the state of Michigan. And I was hoping that you could elaborate on that for us. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you for having me, first of all. And, and uh, God bless you for what you are uh, doing and helping to get the word out. Uh, we are in a constitutional crisis. Uh, first time in my lifetime, I remember anything like this. Uh, if you see government acting, the first question you're, you need to ask is, well, what is your authority to act? A and, and we see the, the governor now <laughs> acting uh, very much you know, like uh, a monarch. We now have governance by edict or governance by decree rather than uh, governance uh, through a normal governing process under a constitutional republic. And you know, the way that that happened is that uh, about, uh, oh, not too many hours ago, actually, what we had was we had uh, a legal uh, deadline where she was required to, uh, under our constitutional and statutory law, go to the, the legislature and either work out with them an extension of time for this emergency governance or to terminate it. Well, what she did was she terminated the emergency uh, and everybody that was, you know, asleep probably at the time because it happened late at night uh, didn't know about that uh, because the next minute she literally then declared an emergency does exist, but she did it in a very different way. She did it in a way that says, I have absolute power. I no longer have to uh, pay attention or I'm unwilling to, to look at or pay attention to the laws that require me to work with uh, the representatives of the people. And I am going to govern by edict for as long as I want to. And I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not exaggerating. And wow, that, sound, that sounds really, really um, sneaky. Just real backhanded and sneaky. Well, sneaky, crafty, and, and, and there are probably some words that we can't use on the radio as well. Uh, but uh, what the other thing that we need to understand is even, let's assume that there is authority. And, and, I, and, we're, and we no longer can assume that. And, and I would suggest, in, in my view, there, there is no longer any legal authority for her to be governing by edict or decree. But, but even where that authority exists, government cannot use their power in ways that interfere with our constitutional inalienable rights. 
And, and that's been happening for two months here. It, it is a crime for every pastor in this state uh, to uh, have a couple people gather at their church and live stream a sermon. Uh, the the orders that and the edicts and the decrees that have come down from the governor's office make no exception for individuals. Uh, to show you how out of touch I think they are with um, the importance of faith and religion, they do make an exemption for what they call the owner of a church, um, which is, you know, you just scratch your head, who owns a church? Now, I, can I interrupt you here for just a moment? Yes. Have a question about that. So, in reading your last issue brief on the previous um, edict, the, the previous executive order, um, you wrote that basically under strict scrutiny, uh, a court would likely conclude that the governor had a compelling interest to issue her order, which is suppressing the spread of the COVID 19, um, and that they would probably conclude that the governor's short stay at home mandate was at least restrictive means to accomplish the above stated compelling government interest and that I'm, I'm reading it straight off a uh, straight off my screen here so what is different now from before where you thought would we have a leg to stand on yeah well you know I, I felt that even back then when I wrote those words that we had a leg to stand on and and, and it might have been worth you know challenging it you know back then I, I was just providing some analysis for pastors that if you do go forward now, and, and, and at the time that that was written, we were at the height of the, uh, the, the danger. And we were at the height of where, um, the, where the, commu the communicable aspect of it was exponentially increasing. And so in other words, if, if somebody challenged the law as violating religious conscience at that point, some judge and especially a left-leaning judge would say, "Oh, there's a compelling government interest here." And I understand what what the what the process is is when somebody challenges a government action as violating religious conscience. What the government has to do is they have to come forward with a compelling government reason, and and that's just the way the courts have have set up the the analysis. And and if that happened, you know, back at the time I had written that. You know, there was, you know, uh, arguably um, a or at least they would have a pretty strong argument that there was a compelling reason and that there wasn't any other least restrictive means. Well, what's changed since then is we've taught we've seen that curve flatten out. Uh, we've also seen that the, the problem is not near as big as what everybody was you know, talking about it as. And, and therefore, um, the, I think the government would have a very difficult time being able to meet. Uh, its burden here, and even if you know the government meets its burden, you have to understand when I what that means when I say the government meets its burden. That that means that the government is coming forward and saying yes, we are interfering in a substantial way with your religious liberty, and we don't care. But we've got a justification for interfering with your unalienable fundamental rights, and oh. so. Um, make sure we understand that because, you know, the governor and the executive branch of government doesn't want to talk about that. They, they, they will admit that they, if, they are ha if they have to do so in a court of law, that they are substantially interfering with religious conscience, but they're just going to say we're justified in doing so. Well, Professor Wagner, um, at what point does the concept of martial law enter in here? Well, 
you know, if 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 we were being bombed, carpet bombed right now in the state of Michigan, and Lansing was, you know, we had infantry from the from an enemy coming in, you know, and we had to, you know, buckle down, and we were in a in a in a serious, you know, emergency of the like that the statutes that we're talking about here contemplated because this first statute that was written was written in a World War II era time. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about martial law. Now, well, that's we've what got I'm a governor at. right now. Yeah, we've got a governor right now exercising that kind of power, you know, without any, without any uh, legal authority anymore because she's rejected the part of the law that she doesn't like. And she has very boldly come out and said, I'm going to govern by decree and edict for as long as I want and nobody can stop me. Well, okay. I can tell you there's going to be an avalanche of lawsuits, you know, starting with ones from the legislature and from our justice center saying, no, you are going to follow the law. Excellent. So I do have a question for you. Now, church owners are exempt but what about people traveling to church? Because as we have read and interpreted the executive order, it is, they're not going to ticket people for actually attending church as long as they're social distancing. But the well, let me stated, stop you there. What's your basis okay. for that? Well, um, here's, it does say churches are exempt. However, no, it no. Okay. It, it, it doesn't say churches are exempt. No, it says a place of worship. A place okay. of worship, when being used for a place of worship, is not subject to the penalty. Um, right. That's very different. That means that you know every member of the congregation and the pastor can be um, convicted and will have to pay the penalty. Now, the corporate building itself or the place in the parking lot will not have to. Um, pay a penalty, but that doesn't mean you still won't be convicted and have a misdemeanor. So um, they're calling the building exempt, but not the individuals. But the yeah, owner and, and of the building... There again, they're not even doing that. They're not even exempting that. They're saying it's not subject to the penalty. Everywhere else, they provide exemptions. Here, uh, they're just saying it's not going to be subject to the penalty. Now and, I understand they, what you're saying. It's very tricky what they do. It's very crafty, and 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 I think it's you know bordering well, on ugly evil. So, so another question then: If every member of a church congregation a brings a can of food to help take care of the needy as a volunteer, and or b signs a piece of paper that says that during the duration of this lockdown, whatever we call it, we are all co-owners of of this building. I have given my dollar. I am now a co-owner of this building, of this parking lot. And now does that does that help me? Would that as a churchgoer who wants as a, to meet as a matter of that's very good. I mean, I, 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 you should teach law. This was, this, that was excellent. Under your first scenario, you would be exempt because there's an express exemption for, for providing food to the, the media. Um, under your second exemption, um, you, would not be, you wouldn't be exempt. You would be convicted, but you wouldn't have to pay the fine. You wouldn't be subject to the penalty. Um, and so, um, you know, it is, you know, and here's the thing. The reason I asked you where before, when, where'd you get your basis for saying you were exempt is because what you were hearing was something that actually the governor had said. Um, the governor had actually said that either on her website or in a speech, and that's that's the motive. Mot that's what that's the that's what they're doing right now is they put the law down 
and, and they drop the hammer on Christian people. But then when they get pushback, instead of changing the law, what they do is they go on their website and they frequently ask questions, say, oh, well, we won't enforce it, da-da-da-da. Well, you know, how much do you trust that? And, you know, if, they're, if, if that's true, then why don't they just amend the law like they have before? Well, Professor Wagner, that's, that's interesting because I've been spending most of my morning indexing the topics of the various uh, rescinded and unrescinded executive orders. And at one point I end up like, oh, here's 70. I didn't see that last night. And 70 is like a whole volume in itself. And trying to go through that as your because I'm trying to figure out what is hearsay to me and what is actually law. And it seems like the governor is contradicting herself in her news conferences as to what's actually in the order and what takes precedence. And then the other question is, can you I'm noticing one thing here is we are this 70 2020 70 calls for a strict lockdown. Basically, if you don't have a right to go somewhere, you can't go somewhere and is going to church. Can you get ticketed for being on my way to, on my way to church? Not even being at church, but just saying I'm driving to church. Well, and to answer your first question, it's the order that matters because the order has the force of law and punishment. <laughs> Illegal and law. The, yes, and, and, and it's a crime. Uh, it's a misdemeanor, but it but it's a crime. Uh, now, again, what, you, what the reason you're seeing so many inconsistent statements is uh, is because of pushback. And you know, I think you know when when they get pushback, instead of changing the the executive order to you know comply with the Constitution, it's just easier for them to go and deny it or say, oh, we're not going to enforce that. And and I got to tell you, that does not have the force. Of law. Thank you. It, Thank may, you. It, it, it may satisfy, and it, it may make a headline, and it may satisfy a, a local TV station or a newspaper that's willing to carry the water for the governor, but it but it does not change the law. Now, I think, I think Phil had a question. Phil, did you want to jump in here? Yes, I've heard of quite a few incidents where churches were uh, stopped from uh, having any type of service. What about the uh, the Islamic uh, community? Uh, I just can't believe that that they haven't been uh, into their place of worship, and no, and nobody seems to have uh, seen uh, any reason to object to it. And they're right in the middle of Ramadan too. Yeah. So what is that? I mean, is is do, is there an off limits on the on the uh, on the Muslim uh, faith, or what is it? Well, not under the law. The law would treat a, a mosque the same as it would treat a, a church and the same as it would treat a synagogue. Uh, the law, it treats the same. Now, whether or not the enforcement of the law is is different in despair is a, is a different question. And, um, you know, I, I again, um, I've had a couple of calls from pastors where, you know, and here's the, here's the problem of, uh, of having a law that says one thing and then going on and doing a press release or going on a website with a frequently asked question and, and saying, oh, we're not going to enforce it. Well, I can tell you the local deputy sheriff is reading the law. They're not listening to all the press releases and all the other things. And so we've had reports where, you know, some local law enforcement have approached pastors. Uh, and so far, nobody has been arrested or, uh, or, or fined. But we, we have had, and I got to tell you, I can't imagine what kind of chilling effect that has on, you know, somebody that has called 
you know, the Bible says, you know, that the pastors are supposed to go and teach all these things I have commanded you, Jesus says, <laughs> you know, and so at the same time, you know, in, in Romans, we're supposed to follow, you know, the authorities that are put in, in front of us in the government. And so these pastors are torn, you know, I want to follow the government, but now the government's commanding me to do something that God commands me to do. And that's a line too far. Um, that, you know, I we agree our, with you. We pay our taxes every year, and and yes, there's many things that are un unbiblical that that money goes to, and 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 we don't like that. But we still pay our taxes because we render under Caesar what is Caesar, and to God's what is God's. But when God commands uh, us to do something, and then the government commands us not to do that, that's a line too far, and that's why you see every pastor in the state of Michigan, you know, standing up and say, "Here I am, and here I stand." So I've seen and heard some anecdotes that state police can ticket individuals driving into or out of a church parking lot. Have you heard or seen anything about that, and can they actually do it? Well, under the under the order, they certainly can. I have not heard that actually happen, though. So if you've right. got you know eyewitness accounts where that actually happened, let me know because I would like like to know that. I do think that most law enforcement are. Are, are holding back. Now, you know, Lord Acton in 1887, you know, said that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Exactly. That's, that, that's part of what we've got here is, is all of a sudden you give, you know, you give, that's why we separated power because our founders understood that all of sin had fallen short and that we start fighting each other, you know, and that's why we have, you know, checks on each other. Uh, on the different branches. Each branch checks the other. And, and what the governor has claimed for herself is an uncheckable um, power to govern by decree for as long as she wants. And I can tell you right now, the people and the legislature are not going to stand for that. And, you know, using the court process and other peaceful processes, you know, there, there will be a legal response. All right. Given, given the scriptural admonition to uh, obey those who have the rule over you, in a constitutional republic where power is derived from the consent of the people and, and then um, modified by the Constitution, wouldn't you say then that those who have the rule over you are the people and not the representatives of the people? In other words, Governor Whitmer doesn't have the rule over me. She operates via consent of the governed through the Constitution, both state and federal. So consequently, if we believe that she's acting unconstitutionally, should we not have a biblical permission to disobey mm -hmm. that? Well, let me, let me give you the constitutional answer first and then the biblical answer. The constitutional <clears throat> answer is, is yes, and we have... Um, a number of means within our constitution to do that. Number one, the next election. <laughs> um, yeah. Number two, more immediate, um, there, there is uh, a recall process that our constitution calls for. So, you know, we the people can say just exactly what you said, and we are going to remove you using the constitutional removal process. Um, there is a more, um, there, there's a quicker process uh, also provided by the Constitution called impeachment. And then I would say there's probably yet a fifth one here, if, I, if I'm up to five, uh, fourth or fifth one that, that says, you know, um, the appropriations process. The legislature holds the power, power of the purse. You know, you're not going to be able to exercise much power if you don't have any financial, you know, money supporting the, the things you want to go forward. Now, on the biblical answer. 
um, whether or not you can in, engage in civil, in peaceful civil disobedience is number one. Um, I think not just because we disagree or something that disagrees with the Bible. I think we have to either be commanded by the government to do something um, that God commands us not to do, or we have to be commanded by the government to not do something that God commands us to do. And then when we engage, and if that's the case, and we engage in civil disobedience, we, like Martin Luther King, have to be willing to accept the consequences. You know, there was a very difference in the way that Martin Luther King responded to unjust laws peacefully versus Louis Farnacan, who did it violently. And who do we remember is the one that actually changed the world uh, in, in the United Martin States. Martin Luther King. And, and, yes. And so, um, and I can tell you, I have been in parts of the world and I've lived in parts of the world where it's gotten darker and, and the darkness gets to an evil place in a very dangerous you know, place. And, 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 and and I've been in parts of the world where the government has fully taken over and and are willing to kill and torture. And I lived through that time in, in that place. And, and I can tell you the reason that nation that I was in survived was because of the peaceful uh, resistance of the people and, and not um, the violent um, and any violence. Absolutely. So, Professor Wagner, I, I have to say, and I know that we're running really short on time because you've got a Facebook Live at what time today? I've got a Facebook Live at 4 o'clock. Go to the Salt and Light Global Facebook page, Salt Light Global, Salt Light Global Facebook page at 4 o'clock. We're going to get into this stuff in a much, uh, we're going to go Oops. deep in the weeds and we're going to talk about how we can, um, you know, how we as citizens can reply, you know, how, how, how can you contact your legislator? How do you get contact the governor? How, and what do you do? What's the appropriate, what's the most effective way of doing it? I think that's great. Thank you for that. Salt Light Global, Global. At Salt, fa on Facebook, the Facebook yeah. page, Salt Light Global. That's great. Yeah. You know, I have to say to you that my husband is is a pastor and Bible scholar, and he really appreciates all your input. Um, he is listening and giving us the thumbs up every time you talk about uh, every time you talk about um, what the Bible commands us to do. And praise God for you, and thank you for that. I think Ed has one more question he wants to ask you before well, we wrap up. With yeah, it's you. a Go comment. Ahead, we, we do have a biblical injunction: "It's forsake not the assembly of ourselves together." That has meaning. That has real spiritual meaning. And that's one thing that we're being pushed back against, the biblical command that we're being uh, denied. But you know something here? I, ju I just want to say something to that, which is that you know that when the Christian church is persecuted, we grow stronger. And I, I tell you what, in Muslim countries, you've never seen a Christian church like there is in Turkey and in places like that because people grow stronger. So what we need to do is grow stronger. Anyway, go ahead, uh, Professor. Well, I, I'd like to think uh, that, you know, I wonder if we're being trained to be good home church folks because no, no, most, most of the Christian church in America does, has never experienced persecution. Um, they don't know what is necessary. Uh, they don't know what a home church is in, in, in persecution times. And who knows how God is using this in a larger way. <laughs> I have friends who have home churches just because that's the way they feel it should be done. Thank you for coming on board. We appreciate you being here. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. We really do. Thank you for having me. It was a blessing. It was a blessing for us as 
as well. Thank you so kindly. Well, we've got about 60 seconds, well, maybe about 30 seconds now before our break. So, um, I, you know, that was, that was really very clear. It was a wonderful opportunity to talk to him. Um, so uh, after we come back from our break, uh, we're going to have Derek go straight into his moment of sports. And we want to know if there's any curling news because, you know, the pastor really wants to hear about curling. So, uh, Derek, I hope you're ready to do that for us. All right. with Kayleen Dietering, Phil Stargell, and Ed Bondarenka on Wham. All right, we're back. And we really want to hear any news on curling. You know, I'm going to tell you, Derek, it was crazy. We were watching TV and they were showing ultimate frisbee championships on tv you know i've never seen that on tv before but i think you're gonna have to get on board with that yeah i don't i've never been a frisbee fan to be honest with you i don't know what the rules are but maybe it's something i'd have to look into watching possibly i'm not sure because i'm really starving right now for some kind of sports to come on tv but i i'm hoping one of the ma- four major sports organizations comes back here pretty soon, either the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, something. But because it, Well, if, if, yeah. if they don't, man, if they don't, there's always ultimate Frisbee and maybe monster trucks. Because you can crush buses with a monster truck and still socially distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, you sure can. But, yeah, as far as curling goes, there, there's nothing to report on right now because of the coronavirus sweeping the nation oh. no no pun intended <laughs> but <laughs> sweeping but, the nation <laughs> but 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 there is hey, that was good but but yeah, na- the na- last week but the the nascar auto racing league will be starting back up on may 17th so maybe that starts a trickle-down effect with other major sports across the country to hopefully the, they'll start back up again as well well, excellent. I mean, you, you can we, you know, that's a pretty social distancing, and as long as they maintain that six foot rule between bumpers, so <laughs> maybe uh, maybe NASCAR will be able to do their thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it a could bunch of rednecks happy. Yeah, yeah. It, it it definitely can work. Obviously, with with NASCAR, and and yeah, they have such huge state, huge racetracks that they can have their races at that. Yeah, social distancing wouldn't be a problem with the fans, but obviously they're going to have to have very small crowds if they do allow any crowds, but at least it will be something. That would be something. Hey, this is a great time for a moment on sports. Good afternoon and welcome to this moment on sports. My name is Derek Stone. The Michigan Wolverines football Twitter account, at Football posted the following question this past Thursday. Who are your top five Michigan wide receivers of all time? Well, let me tell you who my picks are for the top five wide receivers in Michigan Wolverines football history in no particular order, starting off with obviously the only Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver in school history. 
That would be Desmond Howard. He played from 1989 to 1991. He caught 134 passes for 2,146 yards, 16 yards per catch, and he caught 32 touchdown passes. He led the Big Ten with 63 catches in 1990, and he also had one second-place finish in Big Ten catches. He led the Big Ten with 1,025 receiving yards in 1990 and 985 receiving yards in 1991. He led the Big Ten with 11 receiving touchdowns in 1990 and 19 receiving touchdowns in 1991. And he also led the NCAA in 1991 in receiving touchdowns. He was a two-time first-team All-Big Ten player. And he was the 1991 Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, first-team All-American, Maxwell Award winner, also the Walter Camp Player of the Year. And as I mentioned before, won the Heisman Trophy. And he is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Braylon Edwards played for the Maize and Blue from 2001 to 2004. He caught 252 passes for 3,541 yards, 14.1 yards per catch, and he had 39 touchdown catches. He led the Big Ten with 97 catches in 2004, plus he had two top five finishes in Big Ten catches. He led the Big Ten with 1,330 receiving yards in 2004, plus he had two top five finishes in Big Ten receiving yards. He led the Big Ten with 14 receiving touchdowns in 2003, plus he had two top five finishes in Big Ten receiving touchdowns. He was a two-time first-team All-Big Ten performer. He was the 2004 Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, Bolitnikoff Award winner, and he was a first-team all-American. John Colasar played from 1985 to 1988. He caught 61 passes for 1,425 yards, 23.4 yards per catch, which ranks number one in school history, and he caught 12 touchdowns. He had two top 10 finishes in Big Ten receiving touchdowns and was the 1988 first team All-Big Ten performer. Derek Alexander, a teammate of Desmond Howard from 1989 to 1993, he caught 125 passes for 1,977 yards, 15.8 yards per catch, and 22 touchdowns. He led the Big Ten with 11 receiving touchdowns in 1992, plus he had two top 10 finishes in Big Ten receiving touchdowns. He had two top 10 finishes in Big Ten receiving yards, two top 10 finishes in Big Ten yards per catch, and he was a two-time first-team All-Big Ten performer and a member of the 1992 first-team All-American team. And last but certainly not least, my personal pick for the best wide receiver in Michigan Wolverines football history, none other than Anthony Carter. Played from 1979 to 1982, he caught 161 passes for 3,076 yards, 19.1 yards per catch, and 37 touchdowns. He led the Big Ten with 14 receiving touchdowns in 1980 and 8 receiving touchdowns in 1982, plus he had two second-place finishes in Big Ten receiving touchdowns. He had three top ten finishes in Big Ten catches, three top ten finishes in Big Ten receiving yards, and three top ten finishes in Big Ten yards per catch. 
He was the 1982 Big Ten Player of the Year, three-time first-team All-Big Ten performer, a three-time first-team All-American, and of course, he is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Arguably, in my mind, those are the five best wide receivers in the great history of Michigan Wolverines football. That's my moment on sports. Gaylene, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Derek. Uh, that's a we uh, we have like a lot of ancient history sports that we can talk about, which is a great thing. Um, but uh, hopefully, for all you sports fans out there, this will be a short lived uh, a short lived hiatus from sports where you actually have to look at and talk to your children and spouse. <laughs> Hey, so, uh, so uh, Ed, why don't you give me some uh, feedback on what you thought the professor, uh, on, on some of the things that the professor had to say. What do you think about that? Well, I, I pretty much enjoyed what he had to say. Uh, actually, I'm looking forward to later hearing him speak on his, on his uh, Facebook uh, live presentation. Um, I really had meant to ask him what he thought about Barr and... Uh, the letter that Barr sent to the prosecutors, but I totally neglected to do that. It probably would have thrown us off track a little bit. Um, other than that, I, I, that, I get the impression from what he's saying is that he totally agrees that the governor is, as we assume, operating under illegal orders. She's she's not authorized to issue the order that she did. To be to be clear, just in case anybody's not clear. There's a series of executive orders. You can see them on the state's website. I'll probably be listing them on Facebook later as an index. And the latest one is Executive Order 70. So she she issued, I think it's 66, which said, well, because I didn't get 28 days from the legislature, I didn't get that extended, I must rescind that executive order. And, so everybody's and start going, a new one. Yeah, everybody says, yay, yay. And then she turns around and issues a totally new one on the exact same premise of the previous one. Well, that obviously wasn't the intent of the legislature when they wrote the law. So she is usurping authority that is not hers. Exactly. I think that's a pretty good synopsis of what our guest was saying. And it's really, really frustrating. You know, here's what's funny. I, you know, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. It's funny because I think a lot of the left in the legislature and a lot of the left, they're getting pissed off, too, because she's stripping them of power. So I think that we're going to see that there's a lot of Democrats who are kind of falling into our side of things of saying, hey, wait a minute here. You can't do that without talking to us. So I think that that's interesting, and I can't wait to see the fallout from this. I would love to see the state of Michigan kind of unilaterally say enough is enough and get rid of her because what she's doing is highly, 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 highly out of the realm of reasonable behavior for an elected official. And she forgets. She works for us. We don't work for her. She works for us. So, uh, Phil, so, you want to huh? chime in? Well, she's supposed to, yeah. but we need to fire her. We need to yeah. fire her. Hey, Phil, <laughs> what do you got to say on that? Well, I'm I'm uh, of the opinion that why is it that the crisis always brings out the best? I mean, the worst in the law enforcement, uh, or you know, for political reasons. 
you know, the police don't want to go up on a, a church ground and start to tell people that they can't hold services. They don't want to do that. So, I, I, yeah, I, I think I, I think you're right because they have this. They have discretion, and so hopefully they will exercise discretion in choosing how or what they enforce. And, and that was the reasoning uh, that I asked about. The, uh, the the Muslim, because I know that if someone come on, on their on their property and told them you can't go in and worship, there's going to be some furniture moved around, you know, because they uh, they are very much determined to to you know to carry out their worship. You see it in New York when they were out on the street kneeling down in the in the middle of the street. Absolutely, and that's that's civil disobedience there. And I think that if we do civil disobedience, we need to unite in civil disobedience. But you know, let, let's see how it plays out in court. Hey, we've got a caller. There's Elaine is on the phone, and she wants to talk about William Wagner's interview. Go ahead, Elaine. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for Wham, and thank you for the excellent content of today's show in terms of intelligence and morality. We, we are in serious times, and we need to take back our rights as the boss instead of act like the servant to the government. If we don't have the proper attitude, we're the boss. We're not going to be taken seriously. And so our foundation is based on um, God's law, and that's what he tells us, that we will have peace and prosperity when we each stand up for the righteousness of what God expects of us, and not as oftentimes the New Testament confuses us so that we just follow what the laws of men are. No. God tells us in Deuteronomy 25:16 that all do unrighteously are an abomination to the Lord. So we each have responsibility to do what God calls us to do, and if we don't stand individually, we're going to lose, and so we have to hold ourselves accountable, and uh, um, the other thing is, uh, the way the enemy uh, attacks is through the confusion, and so there's no way in the world we should have all these multiple laws and confusing statements and everything. There's no way we can keep track of it, and that's what they're hoping for. So we need to get back to what the Jubilee concept is, which is erase everything and begin again with us paying attention. If we don't get rid of bad government and bad laws, we're never going to get it where it belongs. And All right. Well, thank you for that comment, Elaine. Thank so you for hearing it, me. It, yeah. Hey, thanks. Of uh, issue, issues like we have now are just what she was talking about. They, they use an example like we have now to get in uh, laws and enforce laws that have never been enforced before because we were, you know, there was no need to, uh, to do anything like that because we are a self-governing nation. But, but you uh, know... 
You're right. You're right. And yes, uh, we are. But we have to also understand that when we have acts of civil disobedience, they have to first be on godly principles and right. on godly laws. And like uh, Professor Wagner brought out, he said, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., when he acted out in civil, dis civil disobedience, he also was willing to pay the penalty for that. So understand that there is going to be a penalty, and are you willing to pay it for okay. righteousness' sake? God, God's That's laws are simple and clear, and there's ten laws, and we can all know them, and we can all, if we lived by those ten laws, we wouldn't need any of the other things. Go ahead. Ed has something to say. Thank you. There was... I was watching Tucker Carlson last night, and you can just assume that I'm always watching Tucker Carlson when he's on. And he made a quick, he made a quick um, point to say something to his guest, which was, in effect, shame on the religious leaders who are bowing to the state and not holding their services uh, as as they should be. And, and I thought that was pretty pretty. Pretty good of him to say, to be honest with you. I understand there are some people that can't hold uh, uh, services because the building they're in, they're renting the building, a lot of storefront churches. This may lend itself, like we said uh, earlier in the interview, to ho home churches. Unfortunately, home churches can't do the kind of large outreaches that your larger churches can do. Right, and I and I agree with that. I mean, there are a lot of us, like our services are being held in a senior center, um, and that we can't go in there. And honestly, I don't think that it is ridiculously restrictive to put the health of the residents first. That's my personal opinion. I also believe that, you know, if a church chooses to say, okay, we're going to move to online services for the health and well-being of our congregation, I don't believe that they're doing anything wrong to do that. I also feel like this is a great opportunity for us to actually spread throughout the world. Because think about this, if I'm standing in front of a congregation, if if pastor is standing in front of a congregation, then all he's doing is teaching that immediate group. But with the use of this technology, which can really be a blessing, we are now reaching people worldwide. Um, we have a, uh, on, on our Facebook page, we post uh, a Genesis study with Pastor Max from uh, Newport Community Church. And We've had imams in a Muslim country get on and say, hey, that was great. Thank you for sharing with us. And it's because of technology. So while we are in this, we can still go out and carry out our mission. And I do believe that there are a great many churches out there providing a service to people who cannot, who, who cannot come to church. And we're also reaching out to people who don't even know Christ. And we can share that with them them in a great way. Um, so I, I just really, I really do think that pastors that are doing services in front of their congregations are still right, okay? I don't want to discount what they're doing. I think that what they're doing is right. But for those of us who have the ability to spread it further, I think that we're doing a good job. So I don't want to take 
anything away from those people who are standing firm in their churches with their congregations and going ahead and continuing to provide God's word. I do, though, want to say that it's a good opportunity. Hey, it uh, looks like Gary is on the phone, so uh, why don't we take Gary's call right now? Hey, Trooper. Hey there. Hey, look, um, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here because uh, I think that uh, getting everything into the computer is a sure sign or a sure uh, way for the Masters of the Universe to uh, either delete it or censor it or, or find your IP addresses and track you down. So it would be much better to do it face-to-face and keep it the spirit alive that way because you have well, more control I, I over it. I do respect that opinion. I do. I think that, that, that I'm not saying that putting it online is exclusive of face-to-face contact and, and person-to-person teaching. I'm saying, though, that we have an opportunity here to reach out to others that wouldn't normally be found and reached. And so they're not silencing us. They're not able to silence us. So, hey, may I? Hey, yes. Hey, Gary. Yes. It's not about it's not about the mask or wearing the mask. It's about making you wear the masks. You know, and Revelation thirteen seventeen. There's a paraphrase, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mask. Mm. Yeah, that's a paraphrase, all right. But yeah, it's the mark. So, are you saying that if we choose to take and wear a mask when we go out, that instead of trying to be safe, that we're taking on the mark? Mark of the devil? Is that what you're saying, Ed? No, I'm saying the government mandating that you take the mask, <laughs> not the mark, but take the <laughs> right, mask. Right, right. I, I understand what Ed's saying, because if they mandate you have to wear it and you can't buy or sell without it, it might as well be. Yeah. And, I, I, and, uh, you know, even, I understand but, that, too. That's an interesting thing. I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. <laughs> got to process well, that. It, it occurred to me this morning, yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, even Phil, the whole idea that we is a two-way thing with me. I mean, I'm 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 getting to be an old guy, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, so I'm I'm sort of worried about it. But you know, I know that uh, protective uh, material like that is not as effective as they they try to make it out to be, and all of that. But but man, I tell you, I just uh, I, you know, I've had quite a few uh, members of the family uh, gotten infected with this stuff, and it, it, it's really eye-opening, oh. you know. My father-in-law went in the hospital last night, and they tagged him as COVID-19. Oh, and after a while, they realized, no, he just had pneumonia. Uh, the first uh, thing they did was scare him to death that he has coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. That's it's the first it. place they go. Yeah. And, and he's 86 years old. Oh well, well, that's that's part of driving the panic is if they uh, call everything COVID-19, even if you get shot in the chest and you die, and you're, they'll call it COVID-19. Hey, uh, Gary, I appreciate money. your input. Thank you so much for calling. We have another caller coming through. So uh, we're going to, let's see here. Derek is typing as fast as he can to tell me who it is. And they're going to um, have to make it quick. Yeah, let's go ahead and put them on. Uh, Elizabeth on the phone with a comment about online church. Go ahead, Elizabeth, quickly. We've only got a couple minutes. Yep, yep. Hello. I appreciate what you're saying. I've been doing both. I miss my in-person interaction with my fellow Christians more than 
just watching it online. So I'm doing Absolutely. both, and and I am actually going to a church with people that you know on Sunday who are open. It is against the law to, to be doing what they're doing, and I miss my beautiful Baptist hymns in church. It's just not the same. So as soon as I, and I am going to a church tomorrow with a group of friends, and we are social distancing, and hopefully the pastor won't get put in jail. Hey, take cans of soup with you so that you can say that you're that you're there volunteering to feed the poor. <laughs> that there way you go. Never, I will do that. Yourself. Thank you. Elizabeth, message me so I know where to go. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 hey, I, I, I will. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, thanks, Elizabeth. Um, you know, we're running out of time here, and I just want to say one more time that folks need to go onto Facebook, uh, look up Salt Light Global on Facebook at 4 p.m. today. That is Professor Wagner's um, live stream, and he's going to talk to you about things that you can do. So I think that we should all really, it, we would all benefit from, uh, from going on and watching Salt Light Global on Facebook at 4 p.m. All right, everybody, have a good day and a blessed week. Have a great one. You've been listening to A Moment of Clarity on Wham Talk 1600 with your hosts, Galen Dietering, Phil Stargell, and Ed Bondarenka. Be sure to tune in again next week right here on Wham Radio.